This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, finally, we'll talk about the NLL Finals. June 20th will forever be known as Georgia Swarm Day. It's almost the first day of summer, and summer ball is in complete rotation coast to coast. And we have two great guests, Stephen Stamp and Paul Delmont. All that and more on OTCB. Hello there. It's been a few weeks. How are you? Welcome back to the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for tuning in. This will be probably, I don't know, a recap, yet it's a little bit delayed NLL final show. And we're going to go heavy on the Canadian summer season. Because tomorrow's the first day of summer, and everybody is playing lacrosse, coast to coast, and it is awesome. Unless you're in Langley or Coburg. More on that later. Our two guests this week, Commissioner of the Western Lacrosse Association, Paul Del Monte, will be by. We'll ask him, you know, all sorts of things, how he's enjoying the new job, uh, why the WLA changed their logo, And most importantly, how come I haven't seen him in Victoria yet? And also Stephen Stamp, um, lead editor and writer for IL Indoor slash Inside Lacrosse. I still call it IL Indoor um, for Inside Lacrosse. And he covers the major series lacrosse league at nauseum. So he will stop by just to update us on everything that's going on out east. And uh, spoiler alert, it's a two-horse race. No surprises. However... We need to go back a couple of weeks um, and talk about that Champions Cup game. We're not going to dwell on it too much because, as obvious, it's been a few weeks, uh, two to be exact, and I'm sure everyone has already discussed everything that happened. However, we missed last week's show here on this podcast because somebody, we won't mention any names, got a new puppy, and they were um, unable to make it to the studio. So uh, we had to take last week off. Just so you know, Bear is settling in nicely to the Victoria lifestyle. And now we're here. So let's go back to Saskatchewan. And we all know what happened. But just in case you may have forgotten or you want to live the drama again, with 10 seconds left, the rush up by a goal, a game three within sight. Both goalies were pulled, and this happened. Got to execute. You make a mistake, you're in trouble. No goalie. Oh, oh my gosh. He has an open net. Intercepted by Thompson. Scores with three seconds left. Jeremy Thompson made the first save. I don't believe it. We are tied. No goalies. And the gamble didn't pay off for the rush there. No, Andy McNamara. The gamble definitely didn't pay off for the rush there. Now, let's go back and talk about the gamble. There are multiple schools of thought on this. If you talk to the old school, they will all tell you 
that what Coach Keenan did is exactly what he should have done, and they would have done the same thing. You can listen to Ed Como's post-game press conference. He will tell you he would have done the same thing. You listen to all the players on the Swarm team, and they will even tell you that that morning they practiced for that exact same scenario. Now, if you talk to the new school, most people will say, keep your goalie in the net, throw the ball to the other end of the floor, and just muck it for 10 seconds. Now, what would I have done? I would have done the new school. You have Jeremy Thompson with the ball, three-quarters of the way in your own zone. He's double-teamed by two defenders. He has Chris Corbeil eight yards in front of him on a direct line between those two defenders. He has another teammate on the near side boards pretty much straight across from him. And he has, like, three other guys down the other end of the floor, all covered in an empty net. So what would I have done? Hey, Jer. Just throw it, lob it as high as you can, keep it in play, let it bounce into the corner, and we'll go to Georgia. I don't know why that wasn't what was said. In hindsight, if Chris Corbeil, one of the most sure-hand defenders in the game, if he catches that bounce pass, then it's game over. Because he catches it, there's eight seconds left. It's going to take a couple seconds for any Georgia defender to close him down. And he would be able to kill the clock. He could even throw it at the empty net or just roll it into the corner, whatever you wanted to do. But he misses the pass, bobbles it even. Joel White picks it up, gives it to Lyle. Somehow, Jeremy Thompson stops his brother on that shot, which would have been an even crazier story had the Swarm not gone on to score into the empty net. Like, imagine that conversation around the Thompson dinner table throughout the rest of that week. Hey, Lyle, remember when I stopped you and you had a chance to force overtime? But unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. Joel White scores with two seconds left and forces overtime. And you can see all of the stunned faces in that SaskTel Center crowd of people just like, what the heck just happened here? Because I had a couple of people I knew in the crowd and they were texting me what the heck just happened. And that was... The whole question through Twitter and social media and in the newspapers and everything. And again, if you ask Derek Keenan and Eddie Como, they will tell you, even Brian Shanahan said it on the broadcast, that what they were doing was a very logical move to do. But I would never, ever, 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 ever in that situation take my goalie off the floor. Because what's the worst that can happen if your goalie's on the floor And that turnover happens. Well, you don't have Jeremy Thompson trying to make a save. 
and then basically a yawning cage for Joel White to bury it into. You would have your goalie standing right there. It was madness. Brings back shades of the 09-man cup between New Westminster and Brampton. Just madness. And when you think about the pressure that gets put on players in that situation, I just felt so bad for those guys, for Jeremy Thompson, for Chris Corbeil, for everybody on that rush team. For them to lose the game that way and for it to go to overtime that way was just disheartening. And then they basically win the opening draw, go down, Poulin makes a save, which he had done for them all year long when they needed it. And then when they needed a goal, who do you call? Not the Ghostbusters, the Thompson brothers. Miles. Miles being forced back, 14 to shoot, there's Lyle. To Miles. Scores! And it is over! The Georgia Swarm have won their first Champions Cup, and they maul Mike Poulin. 15 to 14. The Georgia Swarm are national lacrosse league champions. Miles Thompson scores the winner from Brother Lyles. And you have two swarms of swarm players in each corner. They jumped all over Miles in the corner. They jumped all over their goaltender, Mike Poulin. And what a game. Remember last year when Jeff Cornwall scored at the death? to give the Rush their second straight championship. And everyone's saying, wow, what a game, one of the greatest games in NLL history. I think it just got beat. Magnitude, the relocation history of both clubs, two teams that came in to the league relatively at the same time. Uh, The Swarm in Minnesota were first, and then the next year, The rush were added. They both struggled on and off the floor. The rush didn't really have as much traction as the Swarm did in their original locations. And the crazy thing is, is the move for the rush to Saskatoon was a better move for them than the move for the Swarm from Minnesota to Georgia. And finally... All of those trades and head-scratching moves that John Arlotta did that we all laughed at and pointed fingers at and said, what the heck is he doing? It all paid off. And it's paid off in spades. And so much so that the Swarm are going to be a very, very dangerous club moving forward. And what's even scarier is the amount of draft picks that they have coming to them this year. They have three in the first round, in the 2017 draft. They have four, seven, and nine. So they're going to get even better. 
which is hard to believe. But, oh, and they'll probably get Jesse King back, which is crazy. But it just goes to show that sometimes what people perceive as lunacy turns out to be genius. And John Arlotta and Andy Arlotta are kings of the lacrosse world. They brought a title to Georgia, which no team has done in quite some time. And as of like five or six hours ago here on Tuesday the 20th, June 20th, will forever be known as Georgia Swarm Day in Georgia. Which is pretty cool. Mike Poulin was at the Governor Hall or City Hall, or State Hall, whatever it was. And they had the trophy there, and um, John Arlotta was there, and Andy Arlotta was there, and it was pretty cool. So I have a bit of a soft spot in my heart for both clubs. Um, I played for both teams in their infancies. uh, So I, you know, whoever won was always going to be good for me. I'm glad that it was Georgia just because I really wanted to see that organization get a trophy. Uh, and get a championship. And it just kind of helps, you know, it, it helps the prospect for teams that are in the basement that if you build properly and you are patient, good things will come. So congratulations to Eddie Como, Sean Ferris, Dan Latasur, the Arlottas, everybody within that swarm organization from their front office staff to their social media guys who are probably some of the best in the business. Their super fan, Ludacris. They deserve it. That was a team that I called it from the start of the year was going to be a dark horse and teams should be very afraid of them. And it turns out they were absolutely lethal all year long. And for the first time in franchise history, They get to call themselves National Lacrosse League champions. So kudos to them. Now we kind of get into this lull in the National Lacrosse League. Um, There are big things coming down the pipeline. The commissioner, Nick Sakevich, has um, reportedly, and he told it to us on this podcast, and he's been in newsprint saying that you can expect... Some expansion announcements coming soon. Uh, It won't be for next season. It'll be for the 2019 season and maybe even towards the 2020 season. Uh, You can expect those announcements coming soon. Uh, One expansion that isn't happening anytime soon or in the near future is in Edmonton. Uh, There was an article in the Edmonton Journal saying that the Edmonton Oilers um, Entertainment Group and Bob Nicholson, while they are interested in the National Cross League and they would like a team, They're not quite ready yet, but they are interested, and they do want to bring the NLL back to Edmonton, so that's a good sign. However, the rumors and scuttlebutt continue to roam around of where expansion is going to be, and with what the commissioner has told us and told others, you can expect some sort of announcements in the coming days. Sorry, coming months, weeks, months, sometimes Sometime this summer, in the next two-month window, we should have some expansion announcements. 
which will give us a lot more things to talk about because there's not much going on in the NLL right now. I would like to let everybody know that we should be getting uh, nominees for the NLL awards sometime in the coming days. I spoke with Ashley Dabb of the National Lacrosse League, and she let me know that um, those will be coming out very soon. So we should know who the top three finalists for all the major awards are, which will be cool. Eventually, Hall of Fame voting will take place and get underway. So that'll be some stuff for us to talk about. Um, I would imagine that there's going to be a John Grant Jr. retirement announcement fairly soon. That's just speculative, but um, they are having John Grant Appreciation Day uh, for the, with the Denver Outlaws coming up. Uh, he has officially announced his retirement from the MLL. He's not playing summer lacrosse anymore. And if he's not playing those two, and with all his work he's doing at Valor Christian, the writing seems to be on the wall. So if that is the case, I'm just going to go out on a limb, not a very big limb or a strong one for that matter, that uh, he'll be in your Hall of Fame class next year, along with Colin Doyle. So those two are shoe-ins. And then there might be one or two others. Who knows? Depends on how the vote goes. Depends on who gets on the ballot. Um, I'm putting Casey Powell on my ballot. I'm going to continue to put him on until he gets in. Um, so there, there will be some NLL talk throughout the course of the summer. Um, but as we are on the cusp of the first day of summer, the summer season is in full effect north of the border here in Canada. And even the Colorado Collegiate Box Lacrosse League is underway, a four-team league trying to introduce more American college kids to the box game. Plus, MLL is going on. There's going to be lots of stuff to talk about. However, we move from the NLL to the Canadian Summers, and a man who has a tough task ahead of him is the newly appointed commissioner of the Western Lacrosse Association, Paul Del Monte. Uh, he was hired a few months ago by the Board of Governors. I thought it was a wonderful hire when it was announced that they were looking for a new commissioner. Uh, there was lots of talk of who it was going to be, and everyone hoped that it wasn't just going to be somebody who was going to be a puppet, um, someone who was going to be able to be controlled by the Board of Governors. Um, we all hoped that it was going to be somebody with strength, with clout, with a strong passion for the game, a vision for the future, and a knowledge of sort of today's growing industries, social media, television, web, whatever it may be. And Del Monte is that person. Um, he has been around the game uh, as a player, as a coach, as a fan, um, through all levels. And he, the Board of Governors, I don't think could have picked a better new leader than PDM. And I caught with, up with him earlier on Tuesday, and we just started kind of talking about the weather and how it's kind of been crappy out here, and that's where the conversation starts. Yeah, it has, but it it's, uh, looks like we got a few days ahead of us with so some great weather, so looking forward to that. And with not very hot weather, it means the arenas aren't as hot. How many games have you been to uh, since the season started? Uh, probably about seven or eight, I think. 
give or yeah. take, and try to get to the only. I think the only venues I haven't been to yet is Langley, and I'm there tomorrow night. And uh, I have to make a point of getting over to both Victoria and Nanaimo for games coming up in the coming weeks. So I want to make sure that I'm in every arena at least once or twice through the season. Yeah, you've had a bit of case of the island flu as of late. <laughs> well, the season just started. Give me a break. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'll definitely get over because it's a good excuse to go to Victoria, which I enjoy, and and uh, I can um, tell my wife I'm going to take her away for a weekend and happen to throw in a lacrosse game on a Friday and Saturday night. I'm sure she'd be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> yes, yeah, thrilled to be spending a, a weekend away in Victoria at a lacrosse. <laughs> It goes with the territory. It, it does indeed. Um, how are you enjoying your time as commissioner? Yeah, you know what? It's been it's been great. Uh, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, I won't, I won't lie to you. It's, it's, yeah. You know, a fair bit of work goes into it, as, as you can well imagine. And um, uh, every team is 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 working hard and competing to do the best that they can. So it doesn't come without its challenges. But it's it's been great to to be able to get involved in the game again and mm-hmm. uh, and to be able to give back a little bit and 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 hopefully do you know a small part to to continue to grow the game and elevate the perception of the WLA brand. What's been the toughest part since you've taken on this role? You know, I, I think the most challenging part is 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 the discipline and and, and that you have to deal with, right? Because I, I take no pleasure in having to, you know, whether it's assess a video or you know um, issue a fine or suspend mm-hmm. a player. I mean, that that's never fun. You want you want players on the floor all the time, and uh, but unfortunately, it, it, it is part of the job. It's just it's just not pleasant because you know yeah. you have relationships with so many of the coaches and GMs and and many of the players too. That Absolutely. are either guys I coached or coached against or you've come to know over over your years in the game. So you know I certainly take no no pleasure in any of that. I, I yeah. guess it's part of the job. But you know what I'm working on is making sure that I'm establishing good rapport with people. So I do have conversations with general managers and, and coaches and people that I know and make sure that they understand, you know, the rationale behind decisions the league is making and what we're trying to do to improve the product on the floor and the perception of the game. Do you have a, a game plan? You know, we've heard uh, the NLL commissioner Nick Sikiewicz say he has his, you know, three pillars and he has his five platforms and, and, and the way that he wants to go about building the pro league. Do you have a similar vision for the WLA and how you want to see it grow under your leadership? Yeah, well, if if, if I had Nick's budget, then <laughs> then I think that I, I'd have certainly a more a, a more elaborate plan. There's certainly Absolutely. some things that that I want, you know, that that I want to accomplish, and and things that you know, working with the governors, because you know, I'm one voice. I don't have a yeah. vote, a vote on the board. The governors make the decisions. I'm essentially a, uh, an employee of, of theirs and follow the direction that they would like to see the game grow. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us, it's, it's small incremental steps because everyone involved in the game, from myself to, you know, our social media coordinator to our referee in chief, we're all, you know, we're all part-time people. You know, I yeah. have a full-time career, uh, you know, uh, and, and so that's, you know, number one priority of your family life and things like that. And and so this is something that's certainly a passion that you spend a lot of time on, but at the end of the day, it's not a full-time job. And, and yeah. so, you know, we have to do the best we can with the resources available to us. And clearly those are limited, but, you know, we want to, you know, gradually elevate um, the perception of the game. So you'll notice, you know, especially in digital forms and tweaks to our logo and our colors. And, and, you know, we're working on just, honing up the game on the floor. So making sure our officials are evaluated regularly and educated mm-hmm. and, 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 and nurtured under Rick Lum's leadership and, 
and that our coaches and, and players understand sort of the type of conduct that we're trying for to try to make sure that the focus is on the game of lacrosse, which is such a, an outstanding game and, and less about the extracurricular stuff. Uh, and, and working, you know, eventually to improve our, our webcasts, our website, uh, our, our, um, our social media channels and, and, uh, and, and eventually our sponsorship. So it's a slow, gradual process, largely a symptom of just having, you know, limited resources and, mm-hmm. and, and not full time to dedicate to us. But this could certainly be and very easily be a full time job without a doubt. Uh, one of the changes that was made pretty much, um, you know, unbeknownst to a lot of people is, is the WLA logo finally got a little bit of a, um, a refresher. What went behind that process and what was the decision um, that was made to, to change from red and blue to gold and black? Yeah. I believe? Well, I mean, I think if you're, if you're honest and you'll see, you'll still see our old logo in a bunch of places because, yeah. you know, we, part of it was, my desire to to create a bit of a change and 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 just modernize the look of the of the logo and the WLA mark uh, mm-hmm. and something that's synonymous with the game and and so if if you're being really honest the old logo is you know it's it's kind of common you know it's it's modeled after the NBA old NBA logo if you look at it there's some similarities but the guy had you know the 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 image had become this sort of puffy guy that looked like he was carrying an oar for a boat you know what yeah. i mean it wasn't sort of modern so part of it was okay let's modernize the guy the athlete the lacrosse player to look more like a lacrosse player let's look to colors that were a little more i guess contemporary uh that made us stand out from the crowd not sort of the same old same old mm-hmm. um so working with you know uh one of our governors tim williams from burnaby who's a graphic designer you know he and i put our heads together and started to come up with some different things and and i spent some time chatting with some uh, a friend of mine in a local agency just to sort of look at strategically about the brand and, and what what the game meant so we spent spent several hours with him to try to do some exploratory work on that uh, which inspired the logo, and hence you'll see, you know, sort of the, the our catchphrase or our line that we were sort of hanging on to is the legendary game of Canada. And so yeah. it, it is, in fact, a legendary, legendary game. It is our first national sport uh, and has so much history in our in, uh, in in our country that we wanted to sort of make sure we connected and respected that the, the history of the game, yeah. uh, but also were modern and appealing to a more younger uh, audience mm-hmm. base. So it's kind of the, the general influence or inspiration mm-hmm. behind trying to make a move. Absolutely. Um, as the season's gone on, you know, we're kind of at the quarter pole of the season. How are you um, viewing as an outsider, now an insider, the, the play on the floor? You know, I, I'm I'm impressed. I've I've watched uh, every team play, um, and I know that you know the Shamrocks are, are certainly the front runners at, at six and one. You know, I think on any given night, uh, as, as they discovered a, a few weeks ago, if you take the night off, you're, or if you're a little sloppy, you'll lose in this mm-hmm. game. And so you'll see that Victoria is at six and one, and Langley at zero oh and six. And, and Langley is just a symptom of youth. You know they're very very young and inexperienced, and they're probably a team that's a year or two away from from being a little more competitive. And, and again, mm-hmm. the season's still early, but everyone else is between three and three and four and three. So one game separates the other five teams in the yeah. league. Yeah. And and so I think that from my perspective, in terms of competition and parity and and the the quality of the game, uh, I think it's as good a year as any. And I think there's a lot of talent. Every team is certainly. Uh, can compete to win, and I think that you'll see 
Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, if, if you're, if you're a betting man, you're probably thinking, you know, Victoria Maple Ridge is your front two runners, but you know, it, uh, uh, these days you can't certainly count, count out New West or Burnaby or yeah. I'm or Coquitlam for that matter. It's just on any given night, I think teams can beat each other. So it makes for great entertainment for the fans, a great product on the floor, no doubt. And, and some interesting lacrosse in the coming weeks as, as teams start to, to buy for the playoff spots. One of the issues that, especially on the mainland, that, that the league has had is trying to get more fans out. What's the issue? And you've been around this game for long enough from junior to senior and even in the pro leagues in the lower mainland, um, trying to figure a way to get fans out. What does this sport and, and our league have to do to get more people coming to the games when there are so many young kids still playing at the minor level? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's undoubtedly, you know, one of our biggest challenges is is to put more people in the seats. And, and, and so, you know, I think historically, you know, the, the, the game is a niche sport. You know, there's mm-hmm. people that are lacrosse fans. They either played or they have friends that played or family members played or their children played, so they have that affinity to the game. And, and so I think, you know, the sweet spot is still within the lacrosse community, and I think a lot more work can be done in terms of outreach to our own minor associations to, to try to attract young fans, undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, part of it is the perception of the game, too, is that, you know, for some reason it's perceived as a – perhaps a lesser product. Um, for me, I think it's as good uh, mm-hmm. without hesitation as the NLL and, and the NLL be, you know, they, you know, they play on turf and they've got the loud music and the bells and whistles at the end of the day, the quality of the game and the quality of the product is, is as good, if not better in the WLA. And, and you see it at a much affordable, much more affordable price and you're closer to the action and the players are accessible and, and, and they come from your own neighborhoods. Um, so, you know, part of it is it's, it's a slow process to try to raise a continue to raise awareness to, to encourage teams to do some more things that are outreach based, especially in social media. So we can reach the younger fans, um, you know, sell the quality of the game. Um, and, and, and it's going to be a slow, slow process in my opinion. Yeah. And if teams see, you know, 50 or 100 more people in the buildings on a regular night, I think that's a success. At the end of the day, you sort of do it gradually. And it's going to take a lot of work, you know, as, you know, not only is the league a, a small entity in terms of business operations and, and resources, the clubs are, are similar. So the Victorias are obviously a different world. They, they do an outstanding job there, but other claims, other teams sort of have to hold them as the gold standard and, and work mm-hmm. as hard as they do to do as many things as we can to sort of attract people uh to our games because it's a great as you know very well teddy it's a great product the game is yeah. fast the athletes and players in my estimation have never been this good you know they're just great great athletes the game moves at a fast pace and and, and i've been every game i don't think i've been in an arena for longer than two hours you're in and out in two hours yeah so from a yeah. fan perspective you're you're you know you get to the game for a 7:30 start you know by 9 30 you're out the door these games move quickly they're fast paced they're played at high intensity Lots of goals scored, you know, physical play. It's 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 a great game. So I know I'm preaching to the converted to you and your audience, but you know we just <laughs> yeah. have to we have to try to win over some of the some of the uh, people who don't fall in that sweet spot, people who aren't sort of inherently lacrosse fans. Because as you know, you bring if you bring someone to a game that's never seen it before, they're they're kind of like, what's this? Like they mm-hmm. they, they can't believe the entertainment value uh, that the game offers. Uh, let's take a quick trip down memory lane. Uh, it's been 30 years or, or so since you were part of uh, the great Burnaby dynasty that I so vilely hated. 
Um, what, what do you remember about those days, and what made those teams so good? Yeah, I mean, so going back, to, I mean, my, my playing days, and, and that goes, you know, way back into a great era. You know, I, when I've done coaching presentations to coaches in various associations around around BC, I, I, I kind of I, the line I use is I sort of won the lacrosse lottery because you yeah. know I, I made the Burnaby Junior A team. Uh, as a 17-year-old and was a great era. And, and then I had the pleasure of, you know, being surrounded by a bunch of Hall of Famers, you know, guys that, that went on to, to be outstanding uh, WLA players. Uh, and so you grow up in that in that culture. You, you come up in that culture, in that environment. Um, and there was just, you know, the, the team was just a, a good mix of people. And what one thing that we did probably differently or better than others is we really conditioned ourselves well. So we, you know, Burnaby style back then was, you know, run and gun and, and it was mm-hmm. just a lot of speed and athleticism. And in our first year we were up against, you know, Kevin Alexander and Bob Cool and Baker and guys like that and weren't as successful, but that was sort of the standard. The game was played at a high, high level. And, um, and so fortunately for me, I hit, I hit that sweet spot and we won three in a row on, and I think that in 77, we were in Whitby and down two zero to win four mm-hmm. straight. I think we're the last team to have won a Minto cup in the East that came yeah. from the West. Yeah. And then I was lucky again. If I go, you know, I fast forward, I, you know, won the lottery again and I got drafted by the Santa Bellies and again, and that was the era of the eighties and which, you know, I think I ended up playing in six seven man cups and you know win a few along the way and again surrounded by Cowson and Goss and Helchins yeah. and Jordy Dean and uh, Rod Bannister and guys that are all Hall of Famers so when you when you play with guys like that you can't you know help be fortunate to be part of that group and learn learn from it along the way um, and uh, certainly been been a big part of my life and I, you know never never forget those memories and and certainly the friendships and that I that I made with the people I played and then you know, 20 years ago, you're you're coaching um, a Burnaby franchise that was probably the most dominant junior organization in Canada for the longest period of time. How fun um, were those days for you when you were able to coach some of the guys who now and currently in the National Lacrosse League and the just lacrosse in general uh, are some of the greats that we've we've been known to see. Yeah, you know what it was. It was. I remember Jack Crosby, the late Jack Crosby, giving mm-hmm. me a call one day and said, "You know, what are you up to? Um, you know, we're we're looking for a coach." And this was in, I think, 1995. And um, yeah. so sat down with him and and uh, and Dr. Dave Locke, and and we chatted about about coaching. And I, I remember to this day our first meeting with the players. There was 13 guys in the room, and 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 uh, a hodgepodge of guys, right? And they yeah. hadn't made the playoffs for a few years, and and we started to 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 do some things, and and I had been at um, uh, uh, at Vancouver College, and and had coached some football guys who happened to be lacrosse players, and they were in Richmond. So you know we managed to recruit three guys out of Richmond, and 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 you know one out of Port Moody, and and we just sort of started to piece together a young, vibrant team, and and changed the culture. And yeah. uh, and and from that point forward, you know, I think our first year we made the playoffs, and after that we went to at least in my tenure eight straight Mendo Cups, and then yeah. with Dave and and Kurt afterwards they went to a few a few more. So, um, you know, it was it was great uh, a great run. Um, and part of it, you know, Teddy was just you know getting that it was a, it was a mental part of the game, right? You know, mm-hmm. so we had the great rivalries when you were playing. We played in Victoria, but we always felt we had the mental edge, right? We're always yeah, we're oh, always you guys had did. that confidence level. That we, yeah. that we would that we would win 
And and once you do that, it, it sort of it, it it you know we pushed them hard and coached them hard, but uh, but they responded because they knew what it took to to win, and they had experienced losing in, in the Minto Cup several times, so they 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 knew what was required to win. But what I guess I'm most proud of is I start you know look around the league, and there's you know Caleb Toff is the head coach in the Nima, who you know was on our first Minto Cup team, and I think the MVP of the uh, might have been leading scorer at the very least of that first Minto Cup in 98 and they look at Curtis Hodgson who played on the Burnaby team. He's the captain yeah. of the Salmon Bellies and, and so many other players that either in the league or coaching uh, around the league that sort of came through that program and played many years in the NLL. So that's, you know, that's, that's one thing that I certainly, uh, I know I am and, and, and Dave Locke and I are sort of really proud of is just that association with so many great players and, and having seen them now go on and either play or coach or have families and start yeah. coaching their own kids. It's, it's, it's quite a legacy that, that uh, I'm quite proud of. One of the guys that's sort of making the most headlines right now is, is Matty Brown, um, who obviously is having success at Denver, but the Colorado collegiate box across league has kind of popped up out of nowhere and is sort of becoming the, the benchmark for growing lacrosse in the United States. And, and Matty's been a huge part of that. Um, what made him so good and what do you think makes him so good now as a coach? You know, Matt was, you know, one of these, you know, a handful of, well, I think there's probably only two or three guys that we took up as 16 year olds. And, yeah. you know, John Olson was one and Matt Brown was another. And Matt just had this great knack around the net. You know, he could score goals. And, and uh, if you look at him, you might not think he was going to be a star player, but he could play the game, right? He had mm-hmm. great lacrosse, uh, I call it IQ, um, yeah. great around the net. Um adapted his game as, as he became more of a target of defenders and, and always, you know, had, you know, success as, as a player. And then mm-hmm. he goes to Denver, uh, has to adapt to, you know, the field game a little more, but, but embraced that and did well, but was always a student of the game. So, you know, jumps in as their coach or an assistant coach and then, and then keeps going. And so there's someone that, you know, who, who I've known for years, whose family, I still see his mother and father around uh, the neighborhood. And, um, you know he's he's certainly done done extremely well in, in growing the box game to the point where I think you know we might see a lot of those guys coming in here to play junior lacrosse yeah, in, in Canada absolutely. right to get a different experience largely because of Matt's work and influence and in teaching and growing that uh, that U.S. box league mm-hmm. and and one final comment on that is that you know what, you know talk about the guys you coach you know you look at the the worlds that were it was the U19 or U21 you have to correct me here that were here in Coquitlam U19 U19 the three of the coaches yeah. of the team were Taylor Ray, a former Laker, a Matt Brown, a former Laker, and, and Jeff Snyder, a former yeah, Laker. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all all former players that went on that played at I think I think both Jeff and Matt played at Denver, and I think Taylor played at Duke, and uh, and they're all out there coaching you know college lacrosse and and and, and coaching our national team, which is a great tribute to to the title guys there. Absolutely. Uh, Paul, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, sir. Uh, you're doing a bang-up job in your first few months um, at the helm. I appreciate what you're doing for the league, and I'm sure we will catch up at a rink soon. Thank you for your time, and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. My pleasure, and I do promise to get over to Victoria and see you. That island flu, it can be a kick in the pants if you're not you know, expecting it. All kidding aside, like I said, I think um, – Paul has done a great job in his first few months getting his feet wet. I'm not trying to do too much too soon. Um, There's a new website, a new logo, as we talked about. You have the Victoria Shamrocks, who are 6-1-1. Paul forgot about that tie they had 
with New West, which was probably one of the best summer games I have seen and had the uh, pleasure of calling in quite some time. Uh, if you go to play full screen, go to the archives, I don't know, they're like four bucks or something like that. And if you can watch that game, 12-12 uh, in overtime, a final. Uh, what a fantastic contest that was. But 6-1-1 for Victoria. They're out in front with 13 points at the bottom of the pool. It is the Langley Thunder 0-6. And, and then, as Paul said, 2 through 5, or 2 through 6, um, you have teams that are 4-3 and 3-3. Three and, three and, three. and probably the biggest surprise are the Coquitlam Adnacks and the Nanaimo Timmerman. Um, two teams that have kind of been perilously battling amongst the bottom dwellers. And they have put in some very impressive wins. Uh, Coquitlam over Victoria two weekends ago. Uh, Nanaimo over Maple Ridge as well. So, you know, again, teams that are building through the draft and are patient with their groups are starting to have a bit of success. And while Victoria and their star-studded roster of NLL players and Eastern imports, they're most likely going to be the team to beat. Um, Maple Ridge is going to be right there. They've gotten some players back. They added Marty Dinsdale through a trade just before the season started. Um, obviously, with Frankie Shiliano in net, they're going to have a great chance, plus the offense that they have. Um, Burnaby will be a force to be reckoned with. Unfortunately, they're not going to get Mark Matthews, which they are hoping to get, um, which is unfortunate. He's going to be playing Senior B in Ontario or somewhere out there. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting year uh, in the WLA. Uh, you can find all the games on playfullscreen.com. You can go to WLALacrosse.com um, for news, notes, stats, scores. Corey Small. Um, if Corey Small didn't know how to score goals, like say he had um, and he was unable to shoot the ball in the direction of the net. It was like a phobia of his. And all he could do was pass. He'd still be tied for the league league with 29 points. Where it stands, he's 18 points ahead of Mike Mallory. Small has 47 points, 18 goals, 29 assists. Mallory, who sits in second, has 29 points, 14 goals, 15 assists. Corey Small has just picked up right where he left off with the Vancouver Stealth. And he continues to be the best offensive player in the WLA right now. Um, there are other remarkable players that are only going to get better as the season goes on and they start to play some more games. But Corey Small is in a league of his own right now. And he's done it the last few games without Reese Dutch, um, who was out for a few games with an injury. But unfortunately, uh, we will all send condolences to the Dutch family um, as Reese's father suddenly passed away on Tuesday. His dad, Mike, um, was a great guy around the arenas. Uh, you, you saw him quite often at Victoria Shamrock games, um, but it was a very, very sad night uh, Friday. Uh, the Shamrocks held a moment of silence for Mr. Dutch, and Reese hasn't really been around the team as of much, which is completely understandable. So we want to send all our condolences to Reese and his entire family um, in a very, very troubling time. But the WLA will get tighter. And, you know, people use the word parity all the time. If you take Victoria and Langley out of it, there's two points separating second from sixth, which is awesome. I think that's great. 
You know, because the reason I think it's great is because, and we get we're going to get into this with Stephen Stamp. When you look at the Ontario League major series across MSL, it's a two-team race, and it's been that way for over a decade since, like, when I was playing. And there are the haves and the have-nots in the Canadian Summer League or the Canadian Summer Season. I know Rob Williams doesn't like when I call it the Summer League. The summer season, there are the haves and the have-nots. And the haves, more often than not, will always come out on top. Now, Maple Ridge has done a great job building through the draft and through trades, and they have an incredible roster of players that makes them a contender. But at times, especially when it's a Western Man Cup, it's tough to compete with Victoria. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an island guy and I'm a former Shamrock and I'm their play-by-play guy. It's tough to compete with them when they can have the ability to lure Steve Priolo and his creeper van all the way across the country and get him to play a summer out west and to be able to bring Aaron Bold back for a few games and to get Mike Triolo out here. And the ability to constantly put a top-level roster on the floor night in and night out. And it also helps that, you know, the, the, the basis of their players who play in the NLL, their teams were out fairly early in the NLL. Whereas Brampton, no, Brooklyn, was littered with guys on both Georgia and Saskatchewan. And they would have been missing a ton of players. So the West is very wild, as it's been known to be. Um, As the year goes on, it's going to get tighter, and everyone's going to slowly start to get better. Uh, Rosters will slowly start to trim down, and we'll see some incredible lacrosse. But I think it's going to be a tough summer um, for teams to compete with Victoria. I, I would love to see um, Maple Ridge and Burnaby and New West and Nanaimo. And Kukul- like, I would love to see all these teams battle throughout the whole season and every playoff series go the distance. Because that's what it should be. Sometimes, unfortunately, that's not how it works. But I think the West will be much more entertaining of a year from start to finish than the East will be. Because the East is is basically two teams and then everybody else. And that's it. And that's the way it's been for decades. So let's bring in Stephen Stamp. As mentioned, he is one of the lead writers and contributing editors for Inside Lacrosse, Isle Indoor, um, covering the major series lacrosse for their website, calling games um, all across Ontario. And I caught up with him earlier on Tuesday. And oddly enough, Much like our conversation with Mr. Del Monte, it started by me asking Stamper how the weather was in Ontario. Excellent, excellent. Enjoying the uh, the summer. It seems like we're just getting it started, and already we're well into the season. I know. It's crazy. You know, the the junior leagues are over halfway done. Senior leagues are are getting there. I couldn't believe that the Ontario Junior League was already at their trade deadline. that, That blew my mind. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. That's the Junior A League. The Junior B League 
is actually wrapping up its regular season right around now, and wow. uh, they're getting ready for playoffs. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, 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 it's crazy how, you know, these leagues are starting earlier and earlier every year, and, and for some reason the National Lacrosse League is trying to extend their league further and further every year. It's, I know. It's, it's the dichotomy of lacrosse right now of when lacrosse should be played. And, and, and the talk of the National Lacrosse League, we're going to get into the Summer League in a minute, but the talk of the National Lacrosse League and the Commission Mixtekevich wanting to either start in October, November, or maybe pushing the season back, what are your thoughts on that? And what's the scuttlebutt out east of lacrosse people and what the commissioner wants to do in, in prolonging and lengthening the season? I think nobody minds if it starts earlier. I think most people are pretty keen, like, hey, start in November, great. Let's have another couple of months of lacrosse at the beginning of the season. Uh, nobody wants to go longer in the in the summer. Um, I don't think anybody was too thrilled to hear about it going until potentially June 18th this year. Mm-hmm. Um, in the summer leagues, uh, it makes it tough. I mean, the Brooklyn Redmen had the Champions Cup gone, Cup gone to three games, would have been missing 11 players potentially 11 players yeah. for um yeah for uh, seven games or more i mean that's a that's a good chunk of the season especially yeah. when you've got to play six games to be eligible eligible for the playoffs you need to play more than that to have chemistry mm-hmm. and you know they they have other things that are that are going on i mean it, it's such a challenge because these guys are playing all year trying to play in the you know box across in the summer and in the NLL in the winter and some of them playing uh, in the major league lacrosse as well. And they have to take vacation time or unpaid leave for, you know, to, to be gone for so many weekends and leaving on Thursdays and Fridays. And it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, they you know, they make the decision and it's, it's, there's a lot of positives to it. Right. But, yeah. but there are challenges to the whole thing. Well, now it is summer season as we are pretty much officially mm-hmm. into summer and, and, and as it has been for most of, you know, the last decade and a bit, out east, it's a two-team race. It used to be, you know, Peterborough and Brampton. It used to be Brooklyn and Brampton. And now in this sort of day and age, it's Peterborough and Six Nations. Is there anyone who can kind of disturb that trend and break into the top two? Yes and no. Um, I, I think the most likely scenario is Peterborough Six Nations in the final again. Um, they've been great series. I mean, seven-game oh, yeah. series the last couple of years, the road teams winning. Um, it's been fantastic. The Oakland Six Nations game last night gave us an idea that – or Oakville, not Oakland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be very West, not East. Very, yeah. um, but uh, Oakville Six Nations had quite a game last night uh, that was very close right down to the end. Uh, you know, Oakville and Brooklyn basically can compete with – Pittsburgh Six Nations on any given night. I think those two yeah. teams have really elevated themselves. Uh, you know, they've brought in people. It's tough for Brooklyn losing, you know, Mark Matthews and Shane Jackson. It's, uh, I think it's been officially announced now that they're going to play in senior B and Ty and Danega. So they're short some players. Uh, they've been short all year with the, the Champions Cup anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think those two teams are very good, can beat the Pittsburgh Six Nations any day. But the thing is, and that's where you see the seven-game series come into yeah. play in the playoffs. It, it is hard to beat those teams four times. Especially in those barns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially in Peterborough, I think, where you're going to have in the playoffs, in the finals, 3,500 to 4,000 people. Really Six good. Nations as well. It's a, it's a challenging place to go and play. Is, is it safe to say that Brampton and Coburg are kind of also ran in this conversation of, of the teams playing out east? Yeah, I mean, Coburg has already lost a bunch of games, right? So that 
that puts them behind the eight ball, and now everyone else is getting their full lineups back. Um, Brampton ha- is more competitive, but for both of them, the challenge is pretty much everything has to go right for them to win a game, for them to be competitive against the big two, and they have to they do have to play very very well against. Brooklyn and Oakville as well, which they can do. I mean, Coburg pushed Brooklyn to overtime, but mm-hmm. then the other two games Coburg had against Brooklyn, one this past Wednesday or this past Saturday was 18 to four for Brooklyn, and the other was a blowout in Coburg as well. So, it's if everything goes really great for Coburg and Brampton right now, they can compete, be very close, and maybe win a game. If things don't go that perfectly for them, they're going to lose and they could lose by a lot. And that's the nature of having young teams. And it's mm-hmm. the challenge when a couple of teams have a lot more resources than the other teams. And it's the big challenge facing the league, which is still, I mean, I still think Canadian, like CLA, senior lacrosse, I think the WLA and MSL are fantastic lacrosse. I think um, we've seen over the last, you know, decade and a half or so that the level Overall, the high, the peak level in MSL has probably been a bit higher. I think the teams, I mean, they've won all but one of the last, mm-hmm. you know, dozen championships. So I think the top teams in MSL have generally been the best team in the country. I think WLA's big advantage is there's a lot more parity. The teams are closer. There's, you know, yeah. there's a lot more competition. Than, and you see it, like, it's difficult to make the playoffs. When you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And uh, I think that's where the excitement at West comes from. Um, and why in the East, honestly, you know, some people – don't invest as much in the regular season as yeah. they used to, but I still think it's great lacrosse. I still enjoy the games. Um, maybe not the 18-4 games as much. Or or the 28-7 <laughs> games. Oh, my goodness. And the crazy thing, I was talking to Paul St. John, who's one of the uh, one of the coaches. He's the old coach for Brampton, and he said, you know, he's talking to Steve McCarthy, their head coach, and said, you know, they didn't feel like they played that badly. They just <laughs> Nolan Clayton was a little overwhelmed. He's a rookie goaltender yeah. and rookie goalies in MSL. I mean, it's so yeah. hard. And Peter, <laughs> exactly. The Lakers were hitting spots. I mean, yeah. you know, Holden Katoni had, I think he had six goals in that game, and he was just ripping the piece. I mean, yeah. he was hitting everything he aimed at. Um, you know, they, Brad Brad Self had 11 assists in that game, and he was just, it was amazing the, the way he was playing. You know, it probably helped him. They wound up playing forward for Buffalo and Colorado quite a bit this mm. year because he needed to play forward for Peterborough. And I, makes you wonder, until you remember how good he is at transition, it makes you wonder yeah, why yeah, yeah. he's been moved out the back door, right? How many guys did Peterborough have in the lineup the other night? Did I see they had 13 runners? Uh, they had 13 or 14 runners yeah, to start. That's... And then Zach Courier showed up. He was coming in from the airport. I, I actually saw his dad before the game, and he and asked because Josh was warming up and taking part in the power play and warm up. Yeah. So I thought, oh, because I know Josh hasn't been cleared since his injury with Rochester. He and Corey mm-hmm. Vitarelli went to Rochester to get checked out, and they were both told they can't play for a while. Um, and I asked his dad, "Is Josh playing tonight?" He said, "No, no, he's just he's just warming up." And it's like, okay, because I saw him in the power play group, and that usually when you take warm up, you don't do the power yeah. play, right? You just kind of run around and shoot. Um, but he said, oh, but Zach's on his way. He's he's coming from the airport. Because Zach actually took a trip with a bunch of his Princeton graduate teammates, yeah. uh, guys who just graduated from Princeton. They uh, Apparently they bought or leased, they got a, an old bus, like an old school bus, and fixed it up for a travel and oh, drove yeah. around with St. Louis and here and there and, and wound up in Denver 
so Zach could play for the Outlaws. Oh yeah, and yeah, then unreal. yeah, and then he flew back to to uh, Ontario and went to Peterborough to play. And I guess the rest of them were driving back, or they just sold it there. I have no idea what they did with the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So they didn't have many. And the the interesting thing, I mean, they wound up dressing Pete Hines, who's uh, the son of one of the equipment managers, um, as the backup goalie. He has yeah. actually dressed for them before. And Matt Matt Vince played defense. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, he was wearing. It was funny because I was watching warm up again, and I saw Ian Lord. I thought, and I was like, "Yeah, wait a minute, am I imagining things? I, I could have, I would have sworn that Ian Lord's a lefty. Why is he shooting right? And oh, and why is he so much shorter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I went and asked somebody. They're like, "Oh, Matt Vince is playing out." Yeah, so uh, yeah, they were they were pretty short. They were pretty short. Yeah. Um, is it a bit of a changing of the guard uh, talent wise that a guy like Riley O'Connor is leading the MFL in scoring? It is. He is a guy, he started, when he started MSL, he had a bit of a struggle his first year. As, uh, you know, a lot of guys do when they're moving up mm-hmm. to senior. You see some guys that it's easy, but most guys it's a challenge, right? And and uh, he really had a tough time getting a feel for his role and how he would play. And and, uh, and he, we saw the same thing in Calgary, his first year in, MS, in MLL. And then his second year, he, you know, he got better. And uh, he has just been outstanding this year. Like, it's no fluke that he's leading the league. I mean, he put up 10 points against Coburg and one of the nights when Coburg was just off, but he's been really good every game. Like they were legit 10 points. He's his passing is reminiscent of what it was when he was in junior, when he had three straight hundred point seasons. I mean, he is his chemistry with, with Ryan Keenan and with Dan Lintner. I mean, Dan Lintner, he's like, he reminds me of Aaron Wilson when he Mm -hmm. was playing in Brampton that he could, he'd be at the goal line, on the edge of the crease, and everyone knew he was going to be there. Everyone knew when he was going to be there, but he'd still be open because yeah. he somehow he would find the exact moment to be there. And, and Dan Lintner's like that. He's just you're like, oh, what's he doing hanging out over there? He's not doing anything. And you're watching the rest of the play, and next thing you know, boom, O'Connor to Lintner to the back of the net, and yeah, yeah it's been a pretty lethal combination. Um, we always see it, you know, especially in the junior ranks. Um, we don't see it as much out west. We often see it in the senior ranks of as the Man Cup gets closer and closer and playoffs get closer and closer, we start to see teams loading up. Um, with mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Six Nations and Peter O being the two front runners, do you see some teams um, selling some guys for draft picks or, or rentals as they do out east and loading up to try to, you know, stock up another couple teams like they usually do out east? Um, it's possible. They can't actually do rentals um, because. When you trade a player, the league rule is, is he has to stay with the team he's traded to for a full year. Right. So you can't just trade a guy for the, the last month of the season and then he goes back to you. Um, Brampton tried to do that last year, and it didn't work out. <laughs> so didn't, well they, didn't they find a loophole or something like that to, to make it work? Well, none, of the guys, none of the guys have gone none back. None of the guys returned. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> so the loophole seemed to close pretty quickly. Yeah. And uh, and I think, you know, that goes back to there being, you know, the commissioner, Jim Brady, moving on. Right. Um, and whatever loophole they thought they'd found would have had to run through him. And I, I don't think Doug Louie, you know, who, there was no commissioner for a while, and now Doug Louie's the interim commissioner. I, I don't, I mean, Paul and Dan Dawson are still playing for Six Nations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Corbiel and Kyle Rubish haven't uh, appeared yet, so I don't know if they're coming to Brooklyn or not. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think it, but I think it could happen. You know, guys guys could go. I think Peterborough may be looking for a lefty because they don't have the depth on the left side that they yeah. they might like. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Six Nations, 
never seems to need any depth, and they still seem to add depth. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, last year we saw why, right? I mean, when Cody Jameson, Jordan Durston, and um, uh, Johnny Powell all went yeah, down with injuries yeah. in the playoffs, I mean, they were playing Austin Stotts, which is no great loss, but you don't have them during the regular season. And, exactly. Um, you know, but, I mean, they've got so, I mean, the, some of the players they brought. I mean, Brendan Bomberry has come up and is playing, you know, uh, um, they've got so many guys. They, they picked up Kyle Jackson already from Coburg, so that's I guess yeah. the one big addition so far um, after his great rookie season in Rochester. So it, it could happen. I think the left side is the is the real key. Um, mm-hmm. Six Nations has a lot of depth ever. They you never know. Peter on defense. I mean, their only two regular defenders in Coburg on Sunday were Robert Hope and Eric Schul, who's been kind of in and out of the lineup the last few years. Um, and then they had guys like Brett Coons, who's fresh from junior, was a third-round draft pick. They had Matt Bince, of course. They had uh, guys from senior B, like Brad Baker, uh, who you, you've probably never heard of, right, because he was just a guy who played junior here and was a yeah. you know a heart and soul kind of guy, but a, a depth defender and plays senior B. And, um, you know, they're not – they had a lot of guys that have not played with this team. And it was interesting to watch because you see Eric Schul um, – calling out and helping guys, positioning them and letting guys know what to do. And and it seems like just yesterday he was one of the young guys who was trying to crack the lineup. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, so they might like to add some depth, but, of course, they've got a bunch of guys coming back. Jack Courier arriving was, was huge. That was his first game of the day. And boy, and I'll tell you, with him and Matt Gilray in the back end, and if Brad Self were to shift back there. Um, the other interesting – see, this is another thing that plays into whether they go and get somebody or are able to get someone or need to. Uh, Mark Stainhouse got hurt at the beginning of the season in the first game. He hasn't played since. When yeah. he comes back, what do you do with him? The yeah. righties right now for Peterborough are Sean Evans, Curtis Dixon, and Kyle Buchanan. And when Josh Currier is healthy, I don't see – I mean, Mark Stainhouse is a great player, but yeah. if you've got yeah. those four up front – and you know how good Stainhouse can be out the back door when you give yeah. him a task and he's really focused. And maybe he runs out the back door too. So, True enough. True yeah, enough. I mean it's it'll be interesting certainly how those how those rosters play out. But the amazing thing is Peter and Six Aces have been so good even yeah, with yeah. so many players missing. It was yeah. such a good game Thursday. Uh, you know they they played a seven six game. Peterborough coming back with a couple of late goals to win it. Uh, it was pretty exciting and it was all the firepower, all the talent that those two teams have. The winning goal. Breakaway by Bryce Sweeting. My guy, Bryce Sweeting. Yeah. Guy he is paparazzi. Oh my God, he's amazing. He is. Yes. He is such a good player, and and nobody notices him because he doesn't do anything yeah. to really stand out per se. He just does his job, makes it hard to play against him. And then when he scored the other night, he was so uncomfortable. We had him out for the media scrum <laughs> after the game. Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny because he does not. I mean, he likes us. He just doesn't yeah. like to have to be in front of the cameras and recorders. Exactly. So he yeah. did. And I was like, that's actually not a bad interview, Bryce. Like, he had some good answers. And then I watched the – he was on Kojiko in the post game as the, the post game interview. Yeah. And he said the exact same things, which is why he sounded so good with us, right? He was falling to practice. Yeah. <laughs> He'd run through it once. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, uh, you mentioned yeah. uh, already Doug Louie, interim commissioner just announced uh, late last yeah. week. What was the process of that? Were there other, any other candidates and, and do you see him sticking around after this year? Um, there are other candidates or folks who have expressed an interest. I think the league is trying to take the time to get it right, make sure they get someone who can lead the league both on the, you know, in on floor and off floor matters. Um, yeah. A lot of business side stuff, uh, streaming, marketing, promotions that that we really, you know, the league really wants to get 
get right and get moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it's challenging, as you know, I'm sure, dealing with WLA. It's challenging when you have six or seven disparate interests and you're trying to get them all to agree on things. Um, oh, yeah. It's not easy. And Doug is very no-nonsense. I think the best news of the whole thing is that he wanted to be involved, first of all, and, and he's very good. He's, I mean, he's a lifelong lacrosse guy. Mm-hmm. He's been with the CLA, the OLA. He's done so much, and he's so respected and, and oh. such a no-nonsense guy. But he also he, he was approached about doing it on an interim basis while they figured out exactly how they wanted to proceed. And he said, you know, yeah, I'll do it, but only if the vote is unanimous for me to come yes, and do it. Yeah. Because I don't want to have anybody saying, oh, we didn't even vote for you or anything. And all the teams agreed. And so he's got a good mandate to go in and do things. And, and I've been dealing with him quite a bit, and it's it's great. I think it's a great thing for the league. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think it, it's, there's lots of challenges in summer mm-hmm. lacrosse, but I think it's going to really help having him involved. Whether he stays on after this year, I don't think is likely. I think yeah. he sees his role as getting – you know, getting things consolidated, getting things going the direction the league wants them to go or needs them to go, and finding the person to to sail the league ship towards the horizon for the uh, for a bright future. Um, one last thing that just popped into my head: yeah. uh, next year, there's talk of Peter Rolakers not having a home. Um, how's that all playing out? I know it's not until next year, but mm-hmm. is that still a concern for this club? It is, but the it has been pushed back. There was discussions at city council. The big talk was it was going to be for 2018, but they have said they're not going to do anything with that that would displace the Lakers until 2019 because 2018 is an Eastern Man Cup year. Mm-hmm. If the Lakers were going to be hosting a Man Cup, they don't want to disrupt that. So yeah, okay. they're going to give them a chance to have the 2018 season. I am hoping, like to me, the best solution would be there's been a proposal put for, and they've already got a design plan for a new OHL arena for the Peterborough Peets to play in downtown. Mm -hmm. There's some kinks to work out, but if they can build that, to me, you leave the Memorial Center as a turf-only facility. You have lacrosse, indoor soccer, camps, all kinds of things. And the beauty of it is, because the problem with the building, there's some roof issues, but the main problem is the ice plant is well beyond its its best yeah. before date, and there's, yeah. there's trouble. If you don't have hockey in there, if you don't have ice, you don't have to fix the ice plant. You just shut it down, concrete it in, whatever you want, and then the building, first of all, it, it you don't spend that $5 million that they're saying needs to be spent to upgrade the mm-hmm. hole and pull the floor out and everything. You don't displace the Lakers, the senior or junior. Um, you could bring – I mean, if Moore wanted to come play there, they could. I don't know if that would work out, but um, – and the the cost of maintaining the building becomes so much lower without running an ice plant that it becomes affordable for lots of groups to use. So I think you'd have something that everyone could use. Now, whether a city council in Canada can can get around everything and come to a, that simple a solution is up in the air. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> you know what it's That's like to city council. It yeah, is. No yeah. Zamper, yeah. always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, where can people find more information? Where can people at West especially uh, watch MSL games? Um, you know, it's <laughs> every team's kind of doing it on their own. You can watch the Six Nations. You have to go to the Six Nations Chiefs website. You can go to uh, all Brooklyn Redmond games are streamed live on Genmark Digital Media. Um, you can go, and they're on Wednesdays. Uh, and then some Coburg games are being done 
it's a bit of a mishmash right now. That's one of the things that's being worked out. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully for playoffs, everything's sorted out and it's all readily available. Go to ILindor.com, obviously, and uh, I'll be covering it and go to Major Series Lacrosse website, which is majorseries.blogspot. But I can reveal that there should be soon a new website coming. And uh, when it comes out, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll spread the word broadly once, uh, once it's all ready to, ready to roll. A little teaser from Steven Stamp. How about that? A new major series lacrosse website coming out, which is much needed because having a league website on a blog spot page isn't exactly screaming, come look at us. Not that it's a bad thing because for the most part, it's just news news stories and recaps, which perfectly fit into a blog spot page. Um, and they use point streak for all their other stuff. So, um, but, you know, it's always good to have a proper professional-looking website, and so we look forward to that. But um, some interesting notes. Uh, you heard um, Stephen mention that Shane Jackson and Mark Matthews are playing Senior B. You heard him talk about just the, the sheer number of guys that were going to be on the Brooklyn team. Uh, they were going to be missing some players. Uh, Peterborough has just been decimated by missing guys. They had 13 runners. Matt Vince playing out. Like, just... Some crazy things when you look at what's going on out east. But if you actually look at the standings, Peterborough and Six Nations are tied with 12 points. Brooklyn, Oakville, 8 and 7, respectively. And then Brampton is 0 4 and 1. And Coburg, much like Langley, still looking for their first win of the year. So while Brampton has a lot of work to do, you could essentially say that. 1-2 will be Peterborough and Six Nations. And then Brooklyn and Oakville are most likely going to be battle for the 3-4 spot. Those are your four playoff teams in the East. It's pretty much already been decided. Which is insane considering Oakville has played the most games out East and it's only eight. They still have, what, nine or eight or ten games to go. Like They're halfway through the season and we can pretty much already put stars next to Brampton and Coburg for being eliminated. And you can almost take it to the bank. And I'm sure I'll hear for some guys on Brooklyn and Oakville, you know, wanting to use it as locker room material. But you can almost take it to the bank that it'll be Peterborough and Six Nations in the MSL final. I'll put money on it. I'd love for someone to prove me wrong. Because, like I said, you know, it used to be, um, you know, Brooklyn and Brampton, Brooklyn and Six Nations, um, Brampton and Brooklyn, Peterborough and Brampton. Like, it's always, for the most part, just been a two-horse race out east. And when they can stack teams and the rentals were always sort of a thing and they would add players late and bodies would move around, we teams just don't do that out west. And... I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing. You know, you, you, especially in the junior leagues where it happens more than it does in the senior loop, where you'll see teams loading up and just trying to stack one or two teams for an opportunity to win a national championship. In the juniors out west, it happens a little bit. But it's always going to hurt Victoria because... None of those kids from the mainland really want to come to the island. We've seen 
in the past couple of years, some island guys go over to the mainland, but it's never really happening the other way. And a lot of that has to do with Victoria not being a true contender in the junior loop. It's been Delta, New West, and Coquitlam for the past four or five years. It's been Coquitlam ever since it stopped being Burnaby, which is insane. But I think there needs to be something done to try to find more parity and more competitiveness in that MSL. Maybe it only needs to be a four-team league. Maybe a five-team league. Who knows? There's lots to be decided. But that's where they are. Um, you can go to uh, their website. Um, the you just, just the best way to find stats for the MSL, just type in Major Series Lacrosse Point Streak in Google. It'll take you right to their page. Easy peasy. You'll find it. Um, as mentioned, the Colorado College Box Across League is underway. Um, they have four teams playing. It's it's a really cool thing. Um, the Fighting Bison, the Long, the Bighorns. I'm um, just trying to figure out what the other the 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 Gold Miners and the fourth team is the Stoneflies. Bighorns, Fighting Bison's, Gold Miners, and Stoneflies. Four teams, just getting college kids. Playing the game, learning the real rules of, of as Shaden Santos likes to call it, quote, big boy box. But even going and looking some of the highlights, that you're already seeing, you know, guys on the wrong side switching hands. So there, there's still some, you know, nuances that those college players have to pick up. But like Paul Del Monte said, with the connections of Matt Brown, don't be surprised in the next year or two, that you're going to see some of those kids that really pick up the box game wanting to experiment, come north, and play some summer in Canada. Because while the lacrosse down there will be good, it'll be fast, exciting, competitive, it won't be anything compared to what you can play in Canada. But in saying that, the Americans are learning the game very, very quickly. And that's very notable by the successes that they just had at the most recent Trevor Wingrove tournament in Coquitlam. They tripled the amount of wins they had from a year ago. The Peewees won their final group game. Uh, the Midgets scored a big win and also advanced to the semifinals. Uh, they lost in double overtime to Delta for the bronze medal. Um, the under-17 team is now in Ontario uh, their national team playing in Orangeville and playing in Mimico. Uh, the Calilax All-Stars are doing an Ontario tour. Um, the national teams are going to be coming through BC um, in a few weeks. So there is a lot of U.S. kids playing the box game at many levels, and all it's going to do is make them better. And if there's one thing we've seen in sports is when Americans put their mind to things, and they get money involved in their sports, and they get the proper coaching and resources, the sky is the limit. And it can only be good for the game of lacrosse. It was a fantastic National Lacrosse League season. 27 was one of the best years we've had in quite some time. We will announce winners in a couple of months. 
Uh, hopefully by this time next week, we'll be able to tell you who the nominees for some of those awards are. Uh, we can update you on everything that's going um, on up in Canada in the summer loops, and we will fill you in on everything as we go day to day. Uh, congratulations to Doug Louie, who was appointed the interim commissioner of the major series of the cross. I'm sure he and Paul Del Monte will have a few conversations over the coming weeks. And who knows? Maybe we'll be able to grab Doug Louie uh, and have him on the show as well. Until then, thanks to Stephen Stamp. Thank you to Paul Del Monte. And of course, thank you to all of you who continue to listen to this podcast each and every week and ask me why I didn't record them when I take a week off. I appreciate it. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, two simple ways. You can find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossBar or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Get out and support your local lacrosse club. If you go to a game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more friends they will have too. My name is Teddy Jenner. Until next week, be excellent to each other.